This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. I think it's time we start asking some very important questions here about when we get our basic freedoms back. I'd really like to know when we can count the days or when can we set up some kind of metric for when we don't have to listen to the covid panic brigade anymore about how we live our individual lives. If people want to stay locked away, if they want to wait another year, they can stay home, especially once you've had what, 90 days, 120 days to get the vaccine at some point. We can't all be held hostage by this idea that the government can provide perfect safety because it clearly can't. So you have to wonder what it's going to take. When are people going to wake up and and understand that those who are calling the shots right now, they don't care about any of this stuff. They don't care about the destruction of the businesses. They don't care about your loss of freedom. They don't care that you have to go walking in parks outside right now with a mask on, as if that's necessary, as if that's rooted in the science. If we don't ask the questions and force them to babble on with their BS answers, this doesn't stop anytime soon. They keep saying, oh, people think we're done with this. Oh, no, we don't think we're done because we know that the little tyrants aren't going to let go. But there are tyrants online, too. And as you know, they're shutting down speech that they don't like all the time. But you can do something about that. You can tell the big tech corporations, you can tell the social media giants enough is enough by anonymizing your Internet activity. That way you can surf the Web freely without wondering who is going to get a hold of your search history or viewing habits or what they'll do with that information. Do you want the government you're reading over your shoulder every time you go online? (laughs) I don't think so. There's never been a more important time than now to protect your Internet activity. That's why I urge you to get ExpressVPN. When you search for something online, you click a video, a link, it gets tracked by big tech companies, and they will sell this information. And who knows what they'll do with it down the line. That's why I use ExpressVPN, because companies can't see my IP address at all. My identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server, and my data is encrypted for maximum protection. ExpressVPN is easy to use. Just download the app on your phone or computer, tap one button, and you are protected. Stop handing over your data to big tech companies and the government. Defend your rights with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free. Just go to expressvpn.com slash buck now to learn more. Let's start with a very straightforward question for Dr. Fauci and all the people who act like he's some kind of a pandemic hero, like he's the guy who's known all along what we have to do. Just listen to Fauci and it all gets better. Let's start with this question. When do we never have to hear from him ever again? That's what I would want to know. When will he just go away and or, or go back to being the old bureaucrat who will say things like wash your hands, mitigate, you know, take mitigation measures When do we get to hear that about the flu, not about COVID? Because that's what this guy did for like the last 20 years or so. A lot of talk about the flu from him in the media. Once once a year, some local news outfit would put out a story about, oh, Dr. Fauci, who's the director of the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Disease. This guy is a middling bureaucrat at best. 
And he has been given more power and unaccountable power of that than any than honestly any federal government employee in my lifetime. I can't think of anybody else who's been able to tell you you have to strap cloth over your face. You have to restrict your breathing indoors, outdoors, because he says so. And what makes it worse is that the whole time there's this pretense that it's not really his decision. It's the politicians, you know, the policymakers. They're the ones that are actually making it. No, that's that's not really true, because they point at Fauci and say it's the science. The experts, I'm just following the science and the scientists say, I'm just letting the politicians know you see the game. Nobody's accountable then. Nobody actually has to answer any real questions about this. They just tell you, shut up and do what you're told. They've been telling us that for a year. I am honestly appalled at how much the American people have gone along with this nonsense. I'm not saying it's all nonsense, okay? I've got a vaccine appointment. I know that COVID's real. I just had it. Like, I'm, when I say nonsense, I'm talking about masking up outside. I'm talking about masking up between bites. I'm talking about telling us to forget that for the last hundred years, it never occurred to anybody to think that it was some great public health measure to wear a mask all the time during respiratory virus season to save lots and lots of lives. Right. That somehow we just magically stumbled upon this. Oh, and it's not because there was a revelation or some scientific advance about all of it. No, no. It was a little over a year ago now that people went into a panic and like some kind of emotional security blanket All of a sudden, the one thing they thought they could do that would save them was masking because social distancing is is preposterous. It's just basically avoid human beings as much as you can. That's what the real guidance is. Avoid being close to people, which obviously does not work as a policy. Avoiding people as a matter of science. Yeah, of course, if you don't see anybody, you're not going to get a transmissible aerosolized virus from them. But we've been we've been dragged through madness here. They just they just clarify the CDC guidance on getting it from surfaces. And and one of the problems is that, yeah, theoretically, a lot of things are possible, but you never worry about it. You certainly don't base policy on it. Theoretically, we could be invaded by Norway next week. You can't tell me that can't happen. But we don't sit around worried about that. We don't spend a lot of time and resources concerned about that. But look at the way they even talk about surfaces and transmission of COVID on surfaces. Now they're saying it's it's really, really, really unlikely. It's like a one in 10,000 shot you're going to get it from. And you can't even really come up with numbers to this, because what does that even mean? If you're near somebody who has COVID, it's a one in 10,000 chance you'll get it from a surface. But the, the point is. In the early days of this, people were wiping down their groceries with Lysol. The food they were eating, they were were worried about. There were all these panic porn stories about how frozen food shipped from China has, you know, COVID on it or something. It was all nonsense. Total nonsense. But, oh, no, now they really know what to do. Now they really know. Look, I don't don't rehash the past of of the pandemic here just as some kind of catharsis, although it is fun to point out what a a clown Fauci has been and how wrong he's been. I actually do it because I want people to understand that they need they need this this grip 
that the Fauciites have over their minds to release. Because they're not going to just let it go. They're not going to say, you know what, you're right. Uh, We've made a lot of poor decisions here. We're going to allow human beings to just make their own determinations. They They won't do it. When do we get to go back to normal? Now, this is going to be a big debate. This is going to be a big fight because their version of normal will be mostly allowed to do things that you used to do before the pandemic, but you're going to have to get a booster vaccine every year and you're going to have to await the public health measures that we come up with every year during flu season to prevent flu and covid And if we see a spike, there's going to be more shutdowns and lockdowns. And their version of normal is that you get a little bit of your freedom back over time, but they can always still take it away from you. They don't want to accept that this was an entirely aberrant emergency session the last 12 months that we should all just completely reject going forward as a means of, of living our lives. They, they have not reached that point yet. And they can't even justify what's been done up to this point. They don't even, they don't even have answers. You, you, want, you want receipts, so to speak? You want me to prove what I mean by this? Dr. Fauci was asked on Morning Joe, which what do you have to know about Morning Joe other than that's one of the favorite Fauciite hangouts? It's for people who are so smart. Remember, remember Morning Joe himself last week going on some tirade like a lunatic about how all the stupid Trumpers won't get vaccines, and fine, you're a moron, I'll go to a game. Really? Do, do you actually ever read anything, Joe Scarpa? The answer is no, the guy's a, a buffoon. He's really, it's embarrassing. To know where the most vaccine hesitancy actually is, it's not Trump supporters. Not Trump supporters, Joe Scarborough, you scum. But still, it was fun to go on that angry rant, you know, self-righteousness. Yeah. And having Mika go, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mika's just there. Oh, oh, my gosh. Another case of nepotism. Fauci was asked on that show about ignoring um, his advice on masks and social distancing in Texas and how Texas is doing great, actually doing great. He is the Fauci answer. Play two. Yeah, you know, it's it can be confusing because you may see a lag and a delay because often you have to wait a few weeks before you see the effect of what you're doing right now. You know, there there are a lot of things that go into that. I mean, when you say that they've they've had a lot of uh, activity on the outside, like ball games. I'm not really quite sure. It could be they're doing things outdoors. You know, it's very difficult to just one-on-one compare that. You just have to see in the long range. I hope they continue to tick down. If they do, that would be great. But there's always the concern when you pull back on methods, particularly things like indoor dining and bars that are crowded, you can see a delay and then all of a sudden tick right back up. We've been fooled before by situations where people begin to open up, nothing happens, and then all of a sudden, several weeks later, things start exploding on you. So we got to be careful we don't prematurely judge that. Premature. You can't judge it. Premature. It's been four weeks, Fouch. It's been four weeks already, buddy. Going on week five here. Really? This, this is the equivalent. Fauci is the epidemiological equivalent of a guy who tells you every day that stock is going to go down, that stock is going to go down, 
and it keeps going up and up and up. And then eventually, after saying every day for a month or two months, that stock's going down, it does actually go down because that's just what happens. And he goes, see, I told you it's because of the public health measures. This guy is atrocious, but people are so intellectually insecure. They attach themselves to him and they can't they can't fathom for a second. Wow, maybe he really doesn't know very much. Maybe he isn't some policy epidemiology God who is leading us down the right path this whole time. Maybe, in fact, if we have allowed for more state and local improvisation without the entirety of the Democrat Party and the corporate media terrifying everybody and leveraging this for political gain, we could have seen what actually works and what doesn't. In fact, there's been some of that, as you know, with Florida and a few other states that refuse to go along with the panic. But what does it look like? I mean, they, they did this last June in states like New York, where I am, so I was paying close attention to it. They said, here's what we need for different phases of reopen. Right. What does that look like nationally? They won't tell us. Why not? They, they say that this is all about the numbers. This is all about the science. How come they can't explain to us what does it look like? Is it cases at, at zero? Because that's insane. But that's kind of the level they're, they're setting us up for here, that they'll keep doing stuff. They'll keep harassing and annoying everybody under the, under the promise that they're saving so many lives. Right? We have more than a half million people have died from COVID, but Fauci wants you to believe that the mitigation measures have been really successful. So we need to keep them in place. God forbid we lose those mitigation measures because the virus would spread and some people would die from it. Wait a second. That's already been happening all the time for the last year. And I know they'd say, well, it would be so much worse. Really? Look at the numbers. At least 30 percent of the country's been exposed to this and had it even without knowing it based on the serology testing and a simple extrapolation of how many people have been infected. Um nationwide for cases that we catch versus cases cases that are actually proven. Do you think that these people that are that are showing up like Michael Osterholm and Dr. Fauci and and uh, Scott Gottlieb and these people you keep seeing on TV that they're all of a sudden really, really smart and wise and make great decisions? These people are feckless bureaucrats, always have been. You know, it's like James Comey is in charge of national health and therefore economic policy. But everyone goes, well, he was FBI director. Yeah, we all know how that went. But they don't even force Fauci to answer the real questions, do they? Occasionally he gets asked something and then he just babbles. What was his answer? I played it for you a minute ago. You know, it could be up, down, left, right. You know, a few weeks. You know, what could happen is there could be a plateau and the plateau could go up or, could, or, or a plateau is flat, you know, like a pancake. And it could stay there for a while. Or maybe the pancake gets a little fluffy, it gets bigger. Then you got a big plateau. I I don't know. I doubt that the federal government will be the main mover of a vaccine passport concept. They may be involved in making sure things are done fairly and equitably. But I doubt if the federal government is going to be the leading element of that. I do believe that there will be individual entities that will do that. There may be theaters that say you don't get in unless you have proof of vaccination. There may be colleges or, or, or other educational institutions that do that. I'm not saying they should or that they would, but I'm saying you could foresee how an independent entity might say, 
well, we can't be dealing with you unless we know you're vaccinated, but it's not going to be mandated from the federal government. Dr. Fauci there with the nice freedom you got. Be a shame if vaccine passports happen to it. Oh, yeah, it's not it's not going to come as a mandate from the federal government. They're just going to work behind the scenes as they're already doing to to do it uh, via the private sector. That's right. The threat of the public sector and the private sector now in politicized fashion coming together. We're seeing that all over the place, aren't we? They say, oh, but the private sector can do whatever it wants when they're in power. That's the left's attitude about it all. All of a sudden, the left is hyper uh, regulatory in every sense when they're not getting their way. But the moment that they actually have their people calling the shots, there's no there's no sense of shared principle or fair play or even constitutional protection. If They can find a way around it. They'll do whatever they can, whatever they have to do. Deal with it. They're winning. They're in charge. That's their attitude. And now you see they don't want the Biden administration to take the heat for vaccine passports. You know why? Well, because there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy among the minority community. And there are a lot of minority community members who are Biden voters. And so as much as they would love to make this about crushing the the MAGA anti-science people, they are smart enough to figure out. I mean, the, the Fauciites and the Biden administration to figure out that vaccine passports are going to cause problems for a lot of people that are Democrat voters and Democrat constituents. And so it's not actually a red state MAGA hat wearing uh, you know, slap down. It's going to affect a lot of people. So what are they going to do? They're going to try to make this. They're going to outsource the tyranny to the private sector. That's the plan. They're going to make Every every in every way they can, they're going to they're just putting out the information. I mean, you know, they're just they're just putting out the information. You know, you know, maybe, maybe you need to do this. I don't know. You know, maybe the private sector will come along and make determinations about this. Keep in mind, folks, that the vaccines from what we've already seen, there is a chance that they're going to require booster shots down the line. I, I'm even seeing that there are places now that for travel purposes require you to get a negative PCR test, even if you're vaccinated. And, and you have to get vaccinated even if you've already had the virus like I have. This, a year ago, would have been considered insane because it's unreasonable. All this policy is based now, is, is being based upon unreasonable safety measures. Right? This, this is now, it's as though the people, the, the idiots who came up with the beeping noise on trucks when they go backwards that, you know, you can't turn off beep, beep. By, by the way, plenty of times people are getting hit by trucks that with the beeping on because they're so used to hearing it, they don't care. But those people, it's like it's like the worst elements of OSHA or something are, are running national. It's not just virus policy. It's national economic policy. This is the whole country. This is our ability to open up. And this is your your ability to go for a walk in the park without having a mask on. You realize they were shutting down parks in some places in this country because of the science. These people are out of their minds. There is no data, no data whatsoever to show that it is a reasonable concern that you are going to get the virus outdoors from people. None. Now, what they do is they say, oh, well, here's a case. We found a case. There's 7 billion people in the world. Yeah, I'm sure there are cases of all kinds of things that happen. But you don't build your entire COVID policy around the lightning strike. 
You don't build your entire COVID policy around, well, you know, I was vaccinated, but I st- but I still got the virus. OK, well, if you're one in 50,000 people, sometimes that's, you know, just the way the things go down. That's the way that it happens. We don't all live our lives with, oh, but even if you're vaccinated, you could still get it or give it to people. No, no, no. Or, or just get used to this. Get used to more of these feckless bureaucrats, these these imbeciles who want to just poke and prod at you like the little busybody tyrants they are. They want to, you know, they're going to kick your two-year-old off a plane because she's not masked like they did at Spirit Airlines. Or get ready for that because they're not giving this up. They're going to they're going to they're going to pull back a little bit on the measures, but they want to be able to reinstitute them at any point in time. That's the world we're going to be living in now. Anytime the public health measures have to come back based on completely unreasonable risk parameters, mask up, baby, get ready for it. Not just this summer, next year, the year after that. Major League Baseball moves its game and we'll get into where it has moved the all-star game for this summer because that's certainly going to be something that uh, it's going to be tough to explain if you care about facts which the woke uh, the woke crowd does not they just want what they want and they want it as soon as they want it and it's about the mob mentality Uh, but after all the stuff that we heard after how important it was for us to make sure that major league baseball didn't have the game in Georgia to punish the state of Georgia, which just went for a Democrat, just went for uh, two Democrat senators and a Democrat in the presidential election. Now now it has to be punished. But it just goes to show you that it, it doesn't have to be reasonable criticism and the kind of stuff that can be used to shut you down, the kind of things that will get you in trouble and perhaps even make you the target of the woke mob. Doesn't have to be rooted in fact. It can just be whatever the mob decides. And if you've tried to share your opinions uh, politically on social media lately, you know it's really hard to have a civil conversation. And you also never know what kind of spies are out there looking at everything you say to try to maybe use it against you. Well, luckily, there's caucusroom.com now. This is a social media network exclusively for conservatives. Caucus Room is an online community for conservatives to gather and engage locally. Only real people who are verified conservatives can become caucus room members. The caucus room will never share your information with anyone ever. The sign up process ensures you're communicating with real conservatives in your neighborhood. No bots or trolls. It's a great way to get engaged on issues where you can make the biggest difference locally. At caucus room, you can participate in live virtual meetings that are so secure. The platform played host to over a dozen virtual Republican uh, Party conventions last year. You can share jokes, news, find ways to get involved with causes near you without the fear of Silicon Valley overlords stomping on you. Caucus Room is made by conservatives for conservatives to get organized and make a difference. Join the Buck Sexton listeners group. That's right. There's a Buck Sexton listeners group on caucusroom.com. That's C-A-U-C-U-S-R-O-O-M. Caucusroom.com. Join the Buck Sexton listeners group to interact with other listeners just like you. But as a Texan, let me say that I'm a great sports fan of all of our teams across the state. Uh, Baylor and University of Houston. Baylor won last night. Uh, But I think it was a disaster, and I'm enormously disappointed, and it was a confrontation, a wrong confrontation in the face of reality. A confrontation in the face of reality. Because Texas Rangers Stadium... Had people in it last night. 
Oh my gosh, no way. You've got to be kidding me. No, oh, it's so, so awful that people were going to a baseball game without all the social distancing. Where's the social distancing? Oh my gosh, where are the little pedals for your feet so you know where to stand? What do you do about the pedals and you need to have... I mean, honestly, why don't we just get even more absurd? There are a couple ways we can go. You can take my approach here and you can fight against the madness and the absurdity in whatever ways you can. Or maybe we just get so crazy. Maybe we take their logic and and turn the heat up so much that the lockdown left, the Fauciites finally decide, OK, well, well, that's crazy. We can't do that. You know, fine. Let's have Texas Rangers Stadium open and we can have people walking around with measuring tape with measuring tape uh, making sure that they're you know six feet apart but you know in schools it's now three feet apart and what is all this based off of rough estimates you know a guess the thing about vaccines is that at least you can look at hard data real numbers there's no hard data about whether three feet or five feet or what kind of distancing or anything else in fact the only real data we have about transmission outside is that it's Almost impossible. But because I can't say 100% impossible, the, the, that leaves the crack in the dam for the Fauciite madness. Oh, you can't. It's not fact check. Not true. You need mitigation because one in 100,000, one in 100,000 people are, you know, in this place where they could get it. So if one in 100,000, you can't take that risk. And that's where we are. That is what we're seeing here. The Fauciites running around here. Oh, no. We're all supposed to be so upset. Texas Rangers Stadium. What's going to happen now? All the libs and the journos. Uh, they're playing baseball in a packed house. They're so upset. You know, this is the only way this gets this gets better is if we finally say, wait a second, look at Texas. Look at Florida. Look at states that are opening. They're doing just fine. They're not having a surge. A plateau turns into a surge. No, they're just letting people live their lives. And it's okay. It's not perfect, but it's okay. We can do that again. This is the only way. That's why I'm so happy to see that the governor of Texas, Abbott, has banned vaccine passports. Uh, Here he is. Play clip four. Every day, Texans return to normalcy as more people get the COVID vaccine. In fact, this week, Texas will surpass 13 million doses administered. Those shots help slow the spread of COVID, reduce hospitalizations, and reduce fatalities. But as I have said all along, these vaccines are always voluntary and never forced. Government should not require any Texan to show proof of vaccination and reveal private health information just to go about their daily lives. That is why I issued an executive order that prohibits government-mandated vaccine passports in Texas. We will continue to vaccinate more Texans and protect public health, and we will do so without treading on Texans' personal freedoms. Like I said, the only way they have to finally remove their grip off your throat, off your face, 
the lockdowners with their little mask and double mask. Why not triple mask? They don't have an answer. If it saves one life, I don't know, strap on three masks, make it four masks. And yet the only way that it really goes away is if there are states where people don't have to deal with the stupidity anymore, don't have to deal with the madness, large states with with you know sizable populations. Sorry, I mean, I, I, you know, South Dakota is a great place, but South Dakota has a population density similar to, you know, the islands of of Micronesia. It's not the same thing. Uh, so it's d- a different because density does matter for these things. But Texas, Florida, those are big states, big populations. And when they say, OK, yeah, we're still going to get the vaccines out there to people, but we're also going to stop the unnecessary agitations and, and irritations that people have to suffer through. Because some people are so scared all the time. You know, in the state of Florida, you're looking at counties now where they have 75 percent of people are vaccinated. Once we get that number closer to, you know, 90 percent, then you can assume that the overall hospitalizations and fatalities from covid are going to absolutely plummet. They're already going down. They're already going in the right direction, but they're going to plummet. And we are now at the point where we can see it. And all this other stuff they're doing, the vaccines and herd immunity are what's getting us out of this. The other stuff is theater. That, that's the essential point here. This other, oh, you know, you got to mask up between bites, mask up outside, social distance, wash your hands. Notice you don't hear as much about washing hands anymore because they estimate it was in a New York Post piece today. Your chance of getting this from surfaces is like one in 10,000 cases or something, if that. I mean, it's it's tiny. Oh, that's so weird, because I remember when when you couldn't actually get Purell. And by the way, I've been I'm just going to say this. And everyone who knows me knows this. I've been a, a, a hand sanitizer. Uh, m- I've been mocking hand sanitizer obsession for a long time. because I'm like, this is not what's saving people, folks. OK, it's not. Oh, got to use the hand sanitizer or else you'll be at a plateau and then you'll get a surge. No, hand sanitizer, you know, for and they, they give it out to you and they give it to me when I get on a plane. This is theater. The data actually shows this is theater. There's no question about this. You don't use hand sanitizer. It's not saving you from the virus. It's theoretically possible. A lot of things are theoretically possible. Got to open up places and show. And, and the, the thing is, I believe there's also a real incentive for many of the people that have been big Fauci and lockdown proponents. They don't want to see what happens when places open up more uh, because we'll have even better data sets to show how much of the annoying stuff. Basically, we, we had all this infection and it, it was terrible. We had all these hospitalizations and death. But their premise all along has been to make life more miserable, more lonely, more awful for all of us because it's saving us. The more we see that. We were going to have a lot of infections and this was going to spread across the country regardless. You know, the more it becomes clear that they're going to have to make defenses like they have of masking ma- uh, mask mandates where the CDC's own numbers say it's about a one percent reduction in cases. Really? And that's within the margin of error. So it could be no reduction in cases. Is that what we were promised? You know, that's why we had all this mask propaganda all the time everywhere, because it was going to reduce it 1%, 1.5%. That's from the CDC's numbers. That's what the mask mandates have done. Now, you could say that they can come up with some lab experiment where somebody wears a mask perfectly and they only deal with one mist of spray, but those aren't actually real-world numbers. That's what people don't understand or haven't understood in this. 
that we don't live in laboratories. We don't live in clinical settings. Anyway, I'm, I'm happy to see there are some people that are finally waking up to this. I'm happy to see there are some people who are understanding that you're going, we're going to have to stop the madness. It's not just going to fade out. You're going to have to finally say, sorry, mask shamer, back off. And we need some states where they say this is no longer the law. So then the mask shamers can say, it's a law. It's for your health. Uh. And I was in the gym yesterday. Nobody in the gym, uh, oh, you know, over the age, honestly, of 40. There were about uh, eight of us in there. And I mean, everyone's you know sweating and, you know, their mask is coming down for a second as they're and, and they got to pull it back up and all the stuff I'm sitting here. This is just it just adds to our anxiety. It's dehumanizing. It makes us look at each other as though we're all just vectors of disease. It's so stupid. And if it wasn't so stupid, they wouldn't have just come up with this as a panic policy less than a year ago. That's all you have to know. But people, I know they think everyone thinks I'm they think I'm crazy. Well, that's that's fine. I, I wore my mask pointlessly for as much as I did, and I still got sick. I still got COVID, and that's really the reality of what we've all been through as a country for the last year. Is the president going to change the way that he talks about the new Georgia voting law? Because in that interview that you referenced, he said the law would end voting at 5 o'clock when working people are just getting off. And he said it would end voting hours early so working people can't cast their vote after their shift is over. But the Washington Post gave that claim for Pinocchios because that part of the law gives counties the option to extend voting hours. And so I'm just curious if the president is going to change the way that he's talking. Well, fundamentally, the president doesn't believe it should be made harder to vote. He believes it should be easier. Uh, and this bill makes it harder to request and return an absentee ballot. It collapses the length of Georgia's runoff election, making it harder for large jurisdictions to offer early voting. It imposes rigid new restrictions on local officials' ability to set polling hours to suit the needs of voters in their county. Those are all pieces of the bill. So his uh, view is that we need to make it easier and not harder to vote. And that will continue to be what he advocates for. Yeah, so I'm just like not going to address the fact that the president is just like lying about stuff here because like let's just make it about the broad strokes, you know, which is that it makes it harder. Okay, um, they they know that they're a little bit caught on this one. They they know this doesn't look good. They know they got a problem, and so with that, I turn around and I tell you, um, you have to now look at the moves that are being taken that that Biden was very supportive of. They act like he wasn't supportive. They're trying to rewrite history and the media goes along with it. But they are rewriting history here because Biden was supportive of Major League Baseball moving the All-Star game. And this is symbolic of the entire woke mindset. They're moving the baseball game from uh, Atlanta, Georgia to Denver, Colorado. And we've got a great radio station, 93 Freedom 93.7 in Denver that carries this show. And we're very thankful for that partnership. We also have a, a huge audience on that station, which we appreciate because we've got a, a wonderful Team Buck squad in the Denver area and the Colorado and well, in the state of Colorado in general. Uh, so I'm happy for you guys. You're getting the all star game for those of you who like baseball. We know producer Mark loves baseball. And so good for you. But if we're going to compare election laws and i'm sure the denver residents listen or the uh colorado residents listening to this 
know this already. Turns out that even under this bill, Georgia has more early voting days than Colorado does. Colorado has a voter ID requirement in place. So what they've done is they created a whole narrative. The Democrats created a whole narrative around the state of Georgia. And then they moved uh, based upon that. They took action to punish Georgia. And now the, the moment that you step back and you see what their punishment has resulted in, it just shows you what a bunch of phonies and hypocrites they are. Oh, that's right. Georgia's so awful. It's Jim Crow 2.0. I mean, it's embarrassing to even repeat. This is a quote from Joe Biden. Jim Crow on steroids. It's embarrassing to even repeat the thing that the president of the United States said on this. And now you see what their response is. Now you see what they decide to do as a result of it. And you realize, oh, so this was just all for show. This was just silly. It wasn't really about Georgia being such a a bad state that's not taking the the necessary actions. You know, Georgia being a state that is making everything so much hard. No, no. It was we want to mobilize the base. We want to mobilize the woke. And we're giving them something to uh to go after here, it doesn't matter that it's not true. It doesn't matter that it's unfair. This is classic Alinsky. We're going to have to start talking more about Saul Alinsky on this show. And and I think that everyone's going to start to realize that when you when you understand the way community organizers do their business, you understand the way the Democrat Party and the media work together in this. Um. And here, remember some some of the rules for radicals, right? A good tactic is one your people enjoy. A good tactic is one people your people enjoy. Uh, that's why social media and virtue signaling—that's straight out of that's actually a rule for radicals. Uh, for from Saul Alinsky, that's one that you see with all the social media posting, right? People do this, and they feel like they're part of a group. They're yeah. Georgia's so racist with these laws and it's Jim Crow on steroids. And look what Biden said and pull the all-star game and all these companies, all these corporations, they get joy out of it too. They're senior officers. You know, the people that actually run these companies, they get to go to their fancy golf club. They get to go to their fancy country club and people there, the, the people who know what what bull crap it is will just keep to themselves because we just leave people alone. That's the conservative mentality. But the uh, the libs in their midst will come up to them. Yeah, you're standing up for voting rights. Yeah. A good tactic is one your people enjoy and ridicule is man's most potent weapon. This is why the left does not allow jokes anymore. Every joke, every joke is sexist. Every joke is racist. Every joke is something that is literally violence. Because when you start to make fun of these people, they lose their power. I'm talking about the left. I'm talking about Democrats. When you start to make fun of the stupidity of Joe Biden here on things like moving the Major League Baseball game because of of it being Jim Crow on steroids. I mean, there were a whole bunch of things that he said, but all of them were really dumb. 
And then you see they move it to a state with even more restrictive. By the way, restrictive is such a loaded term in this regard. All elections are restricted to U.S. citizens, to people of a certain age, to people who live in a certain district or in a certain state. There's restrictions of all kinds. Voting is a process. This would be like saying, oh, you know, it's not fair. We lost that baseball game, but but there's so many restrictions in baseball. You know, you got to hit before you run and you got to. Well, yeah, that is the process. To call it restrictive is stupid. Doesn't mean anything. But a good tactic is one your people enjoy. And virtue signaling is delightful for the libs. What happened to Virginia? It's a state where I actually have family that lives in Virginia. I spent a lot of time there when I worked at the CIA in northern Virginia. And it's a place that we used to think of as, as at least purple. But now it feels pretty blue. And some of the policies going on there are also what you'd expect in a place like New York or California. Can this be turned around? we got somebody that says, yes, Glenn Youngkin is with us now. He is the former co-CEO of the Carlisle Group. He's a native Virginian. He's running for governor. He's going to talk to us about a state that we got to put back in play. Uh, Glenn, thanks so much for joining us. Buck, thank you for having me. And you hit it right on the nose. Uh, Virginia has really moved so far left over the last few years since the Democrats took over our House and Senate and and the governorship. And that's why I'm running, because I just don't recognize her. And I think it doesn't reflect really where Virginia should be, could be and will be, because it used to be the best state in America to live and work and raise a family. And I just decided last summer that I was going to quit my job and really focus on putting her back there, putting her back where she belongs and is that best state to be in. Now, Virginia is one of a a handful of states that in the last couple election cycles, I mean, Georgia obviously comes to mind. Georgia's getting a lot of attention right now because of what happened with Major League Baseball. But uh, Virginia feels pretty solid blue now, and that's certainly not trending the way that uh, any conservatives wanted to. What what happened? Tell us that first. How is it that you went from being a state where it felt like there was a pretty good chance of a of a GOP win, you go back to the Bush administration to now it's pretty much top to bottom at the statehouse level, blue controlled, isn't it? It is, sadly. And it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, what's happened in Virginia over the course of the last roughly 10 years is that we have had a demographic shift where particularly in northern Virginia, we've seen the minority population become the majority population. And yet the Republican Party has not done a good job at all in engaging with minority populations who, oh, by the way, have conservative values and just want to be listened to. And so that's one of the things that we are doing very, very intently is engaging with minority populations all over the Commonwealth. And what I hear over and over again is we actually have Republican shared values. We believe in the things that Republicans believe in, but we just haven't had the engagement from the Republican Party in a long time. And so that has been really encouraging when I hear that message from folks all over Virginia who are ready to vote Republican and just want to make sure that there is a gubernatorial candidate that listens to them and understands their their desires to have small government, low taxes, low regulations, standing up for our constitutional rights. A strong defense. I mean, these are Republican values shared by the minority communities, and yet we just haven't engaged with them. And that's one of the big things that I'm doing in our our campaign. We're speaking to Glenn Youngkin. He's formerly the co-CEO of the Carlisle Group, and he is running for governor of Virginia, which the race is uh, a little little bit off into the distance right now, folks. But it's going to come up very quickly. And Virginia is a, a critical state for us to 
start to show some conservative gains in after what feels like a lot of a lot of losses for a number of years now. And, and Glenn, your your state politically, unfortunately, is uh, perhaps most well known these days for having a governor who falls in this category, Governor Ralph Northam of how the heck did this guy even keep his job? Never mind how did he even get the job. What has the Northam regime meant for the state of Virginia? It's meant an enormous amount of challenge and candidly embarrassment. And this is why the entire Commonwealth of Virginia seems to really be paying attention to this election and ready to elect a Republican governor. Uh, what, what, What Governor Northam has done both personally in his behavior but also what he has uh, allowed legislatively has has really been terrible for Virginia. We first have all of the issues around how he's handled the pandemic. He's kept our state closed unnecessarily. Our schools are still 70 percent partially or fully closed for student in-person education. It has absolutely disadvantaged Virginia's kids, hurt families, and it's unnecessary and it's unnecessary and yet he still continues to not make a statement about getting our schools open. Now, he's kept businesses closed unnecessarily. We had 1.5 million Virginians file for first-time unemployment benefits last year. And in my view, it was wholly unnecessary to keep the clamp down on business the way he did. You look at a state like Florida that, it, that, that was much more practical and yet safe in the way they opened up. And not only have their has their economy and, and their job market flourished, but they have the exact same health numbers as Virginia. And so it just hasn't made any sense. And then on top of that, our governor has absolutely allowed our Democrat-led House of Delegates and Senate run amok. And there's been so much legislation that has been passed that's hurt police, that's actually encroached on our, cons- on our conservative values, it's encroached on our constitutional rights. And this is why Virginians are coming together. This is why Republicans are going to win this year, simply because it's a reaction to the amazing overreach that has happened in Richmond. And now we're seeing it in Washington as well. And this is not acceptable to to Virginians. And I've heard it over and over again. Buck, I have traveled 12,000 miles in two months. And what I have heard from Virginians over and over again is we are ready for a change and we're ready for an outsider. We're ready for a business person who understands how to deliver results. And it's been incredibly encouraging. As an outsider, what what got you motivated? I mean, you're not somebody that's spent a lot of time uh, running for state state office in the past, working in the state house. You come from the Carlisle Group, a very large private equity firm. You come from it. You ran it as co-CEO. So why why now? Why get involved? What do you what do you see as the contributions to this fight that you can make? Well, last summer I was overcome by the fact that our governor had done such an amazingly poor job in managing through the pandemic. And I watched what two generations of Republican leadership, the McAuliffe administration followed by the North administration, which actually is the McAuliffe Northam administration that had done such damage to our business to our business environment, where we're seeing some of our strongest companies move away. Norfolk Southern is now headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. Advanced Auto Parts is now headquartered in Raleigh, North Carolina. 25% of Virginia's businesses were partially or fully closed last year. 
And I just couldn't believe that that was happening in the Commonwealth that I grew up in. And then on top of that, I've watched the Republican Party continue to find ways to lose year after year after year. And I did feel an amazing conviction in my heart that it was time for a different kind of leader, somebody who was not a politician, who actually was going to bring different perspectives on how to get Virginia moving, how to stand up for our constitutional rights, how to actually run the place better. I mean, goodness gracious, our DMV and our, our Virginia Employment Commission are just so poorly run. That's because we keep sending the same kinds of people to do this, folks that have never really run anything. And so I actually got up from my desk last summer. I grabbed my wife. I told her I was going to quit my job and run for governor. Candidly, she asked me if I was having a midlife crisis. And I said, no, I'm having a Virginia crisis. And we committed ourselves to, to put forth this effort to really change the future of Virginia. And uh, that's what we feel like we're doing. And I feel so encouraged by all of the support we've had over the last few months. Glenn Youngkin, candidate for governor of Virginia. Glenn, we're going to follow this one closely. We'll have you back on as it gets uh, uh, closer on the calendar. Thanks so much. Well, I so appreciate you having me. I hope you have a blessed day. You too.